Welcome to the Neuro Network. I'm Nick, neuroscientist, physiologist out in Seattle. We got Zach back. I'm back. That Third time. Yeah. Third time is a charm. Zach, you were pretty fat. I was. We did, we talked about this last time. We did. I was pretty we fat did. too. How big were you at your biggest? Uh, I got about 315 oh. at the age of like 16. Not bad. Not bad. I and think you? I was pushing 300 around 17. Yeah. 16, 17. Like really fat mm-hmm. for me. I mean, yeah. you were pretty fat too when I saw those pictures. Yeah. Big. But obesity is a... Uh, it's now an epidemic, I guess it's considered. Did you is know they right? actually can like classified it as a disease? Obesity is a disease? They classified obesity as a disease, which if we look up the the classical definition of a disease yep. from the CDC, not the CDC, from Wikipedia. I'll go with Wikipedia. Close yeah. enough. A disease is a particular abnormal condition that negatively affects the structure or function of all or part of an organism. That is not immediately due to an external injury. So, okay, I guess it fits that. It doesn't mean that it can't be self-induced, but it does fit the disease definition. I mean, diseases are treatable as well, right? Yeah. So, I guess. I You know, I used to have a problem with saying that obesity was a disease because it sort of gives a fallback to say it's a disease. It's not my fault. Mm-hmm. You know, I'm not saying that everyone necessarily has to take blame for being obese. If you don't know how if you don't know how obesity works, yeah. then I guess you can succumb to the condition of obesity without knowing why. Yeah. Which I guess I can get that. I mean, there are some external factors as well, right? Oh, for like, sure. Like cortisol levels being high will cause you to store more fat. Perhaps. I think so. Maybe. I might be wrong. But I mean, there's there's some internal factors. I mean the whole thing with obesity, I guess, there's the the classical sort of two compartmental model. Mm-hmm. You have the homeostatic regulation of energy balance, making sure that you have enough ATP in order to uh, do your daily functions, and then there's the hedonic pathway, which is like uh, emotional control in obesity. That mm-hmm. it that uh, mainly it being an addiction. Because I don't think like anybody can uh, deny that food itself is addictive. Yeah, you know, like Sugar when you were like when food. you were really fat. Mm-hmm. I know when I was really fat, food was somewhat of a comforting agent. Oh, for sure, right? And I think a lot of people, when they succumb to the obesity condition, when they become fat, mm-hmm. somehow food starts to fill a void that they can't be filled elsewhere. And there's no doubt that eating releases dopamine, so it can be a rewarding situation. Or I guess it releases dopamine per se, but it also releases other addictive type of molecules, norepinephrine and serotonin. Because mm-hmm. dopamine, I guess, is more like it ramps up in anticipation, of, or not in anticipation, but it ramps up to which then is uh, satisfied by the act of eating. So like dopamine kind of spikes to trigger the the behavior itself rather than eating and then you get a dopamine release. Okay. If okay. that makes sense. It does make sense. Yeah. What about like the flip side of it being calming? Is that the same thing? Dopamine or serotonin? serotonin? Uh, I mean like when you are obese like that, oh. if you're stressed out about stuff and you eat, it has like a calming effect on you. Oh, for sure. So that could also be. Yeah. I mean, insulin itself 
is thought to increase the amount of tryptophan that goes into the brain, which is then going to help drive serotonin production. And what's tryptophan? It's a amino acid. That's what mm. um, serotonin is made from. Okay. Serotonin and, uh, yeah. So, like, tryptophan through a bunch of different enzymes then ends up becoming 5-HT, which is serotonin. Okay. So, basically, like, when insulin goes up, you can increase the synthesis of tryptophan, so then, or excuse me, you can increase the synthesis of serotonin so that way it can be released. And some people actually say that insulin itself can release serotonin because insulin can be packaged with serotonin, and so it gets co-released. So basically, like, when you eat, especially carbohydrates, you get an insulin response, Mm -hmm. or you get insulin that's released. And since that insulin can be packaged with serotonin, they get released together. So in order to get the insulin to be released, you have to release the serotonin itself. I'm not sure how well that's accepted, but it has been it has been uh, hypothesized. Is there any link to, uh, or I guess studies that look at serotonin levels in uh, diabetics? Oh, in diabetics, I don't know. I mean, just because they're high. Yeah, because of the insulin levels yeah yeah i don't know that's a good question i don't know i i I looked up let me pull up paper here i I looked up um serotonin in obesity and it was actually a complicated uh relationship so here's i'm showing zach a figure but this is looking from a paper let me see serotonin food intake and obesity by surly's group out of uh let's see i don't know where it's out of but anyways it's in obesity reviews oh those are those are no recommended no mind um anyways so it's in obesity reviews journal so i'm not sure how good of a journal it is but either way it's a peer-reviewed published review which is cool but anyways it's got um the serotonin pathways and their linkage into obesity and eating and overeating and it has a lot of different areas that are all involved and it's very complicated however if we look at just the table that it has in here from you know so so it shows all the different areas that serotonin acts on so it acts in the hypothalamus in a bunch of different regions it acts in the brainstem it's released in the brainstem it acts in the thalamus as well as the mesolimbic circuitry all of these areas having different actions in mood and urges, addiction, all these kind of things. But anyways, for the majority of the regions besides like two, serotonin acts as an anorexic agent, meaning that it decreases the amount of food intake, which makes sense with uh, serotonin being released with insulin. You mm-hmm. eat a lot of carbohydrates, you get insulin release. The insulin stimulates serotonin release. Serotonin acts in these different brain regions as an anorexic to reduce the amount of eating. And you have a negative feedback loop to make you stop eating. Yeah. You know. It's like what triggers you to think you're full. Yeah. Okay. Exactly. But serotonin also makes you feel good. It's the, you know, the feel-good molecule can make you feel good. Because I know when I was obese, I wouldn't be hungry, but I would still eat. I know. You're just eating out of boredom. Yeah. That's all it was. Yeah. I don't boredom know. Boredom or the... comfort or 
you know, whatever it might be. I don't know if the boredom is linked to the serotonin. I doubt it. I mean, I'm sure it's involved. Like, like if you're just trying to find something to make you feel better, maybe it's linked. You're just depressed and yeah. just trying to find something. Food Anything makes me feel to good. make you feel good. Yeah. And food will do that. It is. It's addictive. There's like, there's no doubt about it. When I was fat, it was always just, I'm just going to eat. It gives me something to do. Fills the void. Gives you something to do. You know? But I think like, I think being fat though was helpful in the long run. I don't, I don't suggest that anyone should be fat. No. But I do think being fat was helpful because you certainly don't take being fit relatively for granted. Yeah. You know? And it made a big difference. Oh, yeah. It puts the fear into you that you don't want to go back to that state. Yeah. And just seeing people of like similar age that are obese and they have all these like chronic health problems. You're like, God, like, that could have been me if I didn't change. So I know sucks for them. But at the same time, thank God I changed. Yeah. Because I didn't want to deal with that. But you changed because of a go-kart. I did change because of a go-kart. Also, a doctor told me that I was morbidly obese first. But that that actually changed it for you. Was it a go-kart? No, no, no. The doctor actually telling you had an effect. Oh, yeah. It definitely had an effect. Because like I knew that I was big, but I think I had, um, like in a way, body dysmorphia. Where I was like, oh, I know that I'm big, but I'm not that big. I'm not that big. He's and not that fat. Not that fat. But then I look back at pictures of me from back then, and I'm like, oh, my God. Like, I wore a size, I think, 46 pants. That's a that's a hefty waistline. 46.30. You know how hard it is to find 46.30? That's wider than it is tall. Yeah. That was me. That's Oompa Loompa status. It was Oompa Loompa status, and it was exhausting. And, like, tying my shoes was exhausting. Yeah. Sitting up in bed. Like, when you are laying down, say you're watching TV in bed, and, like, the remote's by your feet for some reason, you can just sit up and grab the remote. Right? Because you can do a sit-up. Like, it's super simple. But when you're big, you got to, like, brace yourself and push yourself up and crawl down the bay. <sighs> and then you grab the damn remote just so you can change the volume. I'm only laughing because I did the same exact thing. Yeah. So. It was exhausting. Yeah. And it was exhausting when you're fat. Yeah. It and people be. treat you better when you're not fat. Do you think so? I I 100%. thought about this the other day. And I, I almost thought it was the opposite. You thought you got treated better? When I was fat. In what way? And, and, and here's my hypothesis. All right, let's hear it. Okay. When you're fat, you're not a threat mm. for the most part. Okay. So I if you're, I, I, I should say it depends on the people that you're talking to. If you're talking to, let's say, the quote pretty girl in high school, mm -hmm. you're not going to be treated well when you're the fat kid. I can attest to that Same. very well. Same. Same. Exactly. Nope. Yeah, exactly. However, you're just like the punching bag for whatever their aggressions 99%. are that are pent up. Like yeah. It's coming out at the fat kid. Yeah, for sure. Oh, for sure. It did for me. But if you're talking about the juicy hunks, Mm -hmm. Okay, you know what I'm talking about. Yep, the, the Henry the, Cavills of the world. The, yeah, the uh, the alpha male species. Mm -hmm. You are not a threat if you're a fat guy. No, not at, at all. all. No, and so you get treated amazingly. That's fair. Everyone loves just, the fat guy. Yeah, be the funny fat guy. Exactly. 
as long as I, I guess that being said, if you are to the point where you've sort of owned your fatness. Yeah, you have to have a level of confidence when you're fat. Otherwise, you're not accepted. Yeah. But then when you lose the weight, mm-hmm. suddenly it flips. Yeah. Right. You suddenly get attention from the, the, the mean people that never gave you the light of day before. Mm-hmm. And then the ones that, you know, were, let's say, those, quote, alpha male types that were just sort of pushing you to the wayside. But they wanted to be your friend because, you know, you made them feel better about themselves. Yeah. Now, suddenly, you're perceived as a threat. Yeah. Okay, that's fair. And uh, and it's like, it, I think if we want to see how primitive the human species really is still. Mm-hmm. You know, we've talked about it before in the gym with, like, war. Oh, yeah. You know? Like, whether or not you believe in it, like, it still exists in... It's going to happen no matter at what. At the evolutionary core, mm-hmm. humans still have that primitive drive for violence to solve things. Yeah, I think we talked about that as well, where there's, like, a theory that we developed knuckles the way that we did oh, yeah. because of punching other humans in the face. Oh, really? And, like, needing to fight is why we developed hands in the way that we do, like, how our knuckles are so strong and durable uh, compared to... Not just from, like, walking on them as apes? No, nah, because apes don't have, like, fists the same way that we do. They have, like, open palm strikes when they're, like, slapping each other. They're not balling up fists and throwing jabs and haymakers. Like, we developed our wow. knuckles potentially for fighting. I mean, uh, that's one theory out there. Interesting. Anyways, back to the primitive nature of being fat. <laughs> I need to find these, like, the resources that you're finding because they sound way more fun than just PubMed articles. They probably are and they're a lot easier for me to read which is why i find them (laughs) because i have no scientific background it's true but anyways uh back to the transition from being fat to not fat i think it does shed light on the primitive drives that are still very much existent yeah within humans because now suddenly like at the gym for example Mm -hmm. going to the gym is an interesting place oh yeah always but when you're the fat guy, I mean, you're you're self-conscious. Mm-hmm. There's no doubt about it. Like when you went to the gym as a fat guy, you're pretty self-conscious, right? Uh, I actually didn't go to a legitimate gym like that. I mean, I not to go lift weights. Like I went to a boxing gym. Oh. Um, and then I would go and grapple at like a, like a box gym. Oh. Um, but they had a bunch of wrestling mats and heavy bags. So I would go and do work on those, but I like didn't lift weights like that just in my apartment. Um, oh, I see. But there definitely was some like insecurity going into the boxing gym. You know, yeah. you go one minute on a heavy bag and you're like, cause you that are was the, the workout bag. because you are the heavy bag. And you're like, wow, that was the workout. And they're like, all right, warm ups are almost done. And you're like, fuck. Yeah. It was exhausting. And it was like a weird mental trial that you had to go through every day just to get through the workout yeah and and a lot of people just walk around like peacocks in the yeah. gym just chest out oh it's crazy just walking around looking in the mirror they look at their for anyone that is self-conscious about going to the gym mm-hmm. just take an observation moment in the back yeah. corner of the gym and look where everyone is staring mm-hmm. it is at themselves in the mirror Oh, yeah. Chest out like a turkey Mm -hmm. looking at themselves. So there's no reason to feel self-confident, like insecure necessarily. There can be. It's kind of a weird – it's kind of a weird arena. It's a weird arena, but also I think that there's like a couple 
things that you can do to make yourself feel better. First off, I would say if you're getting a gym membership and it's your first week of going to the gym, don't even work out for the first week. Really? Literally just walk into the gym. Like you just said, spend 10 minutes walking around and looking at everybody. Look at the machines. You don't have to sit on them. Watch what people are doing on each machine. Don't be weird about it and just like (laughs) stare in the corner. (laughs) But, you know, like get a feel for what each machine does, watching people use it, and then just like observe their behavior because nobody's looking at you. Nobody's really looking around. Like you said, they're looking in the mirror. After you do all of that, you start to realize that when you're in the gym, you know, maybe you've been in there for a month, you're seeing a little bit of gains. You're not looking at anybody that's like weaker than you or, you know, if you're trying to get muscular, nobody's smaller than you. If you're trying to lose weight, you're not looking at anybody bigger than you. You're only looking at people that you perceive as being better than you or more fit than you. And it's like that all the way up, you know? It's true. Like even if you've been working out for five years, you're not looking at the like new people in the gym. You're just paying attention to the people that are stronger than you. So... Yeah, I guess when I started, when I wanted to lose weight, I started, I, I walked on like a treadmill mm-hmm. at home Yeah, because we were lucky enough that we had a treadmill, but I did it because, I mean, I was too afraid to be jiggling. Oh yeah. That's a big public. problem. Like I didn't even want to run outside. Yeah. You know, cause I, I started with cardio stuff mm-hmm. and like I didn't want to run outside too. because people could see me. I would run outside and I, on more than one occasion, like got called fat i had a beer bottle thrown at me i got egged one time when i was on a run really federal way oh that's yeah that'll explain it <laughs> that yeah south seattle yeah south of seattle south of seattle yeah i did uh i was uh when i was really fat i i worked at little caesars of course you did and i was the did the shaker board that's you, know, you dance on the sidewalk with the no way i did that's with so a tough. bright orange shirt hell yeah which that shield or the sign just turns into a shield <laughs> because there's the amount of things that are hurled at the dancing pizza man especially when it's a fat kid wearing an orange shirt yeah is just astronomical <laughs> you know it's true it's messed up it's good motivation i guess depending anyways, like, i, I had uh, your mental stability it's a good motivation yeah mental stability you learn you learn to just be okay with whatever situation that you're in yeah but i think there has to be some sort of internalization of the fact that you're fat and you want to make a change Mm -hmm. don't you think like there has to be some sort of acceptance that i i'm fat i got myself in this situation and i can get myself out you know because like you see so often with obesity especially now that it's considered disease a disease or an epidemic it's always you hear and especially when i was working as a trainer it's you always hear well i am fat or i got fat not I made myself fat. Yeah. And when and when that was the case, it was always you removed yourself. You, you removed all of your own responsibility for getting yourself in that condition. Mm-hmm. And the like the rate of success to become less the, the rate of success to lose weight or to become less fat when that was the mindset was ab- absolutely abysmal. Yeah. It's the same reason why when. um a lot of physicians tell patients that they're, you know, they, they use the death threat. Mm-hmm. You're going to get diabetic. You're going to die. You're going to have high cholesterol. You're going to have heart disease. Yeah. All of these obesity-related um, pathological things that occur, it doesn't phase them. 
No. I sat there as a fat kid and they said, okay, you're going to, you know, I had fatty liver disease when I was 16. Jeez. You know, and they're saying, listen, you have to lose weight. You have to meet with a nutritionist. Otherwise, you're going to have heart disease by the mm -hmm. time you're 25 or you're going to die of some sort of coronary event. Yeah. But it doesn't phase you because it's like it's in the future. You don't notice it now. Yeah. You're still, I mean, you you don't feel great, but there's no like if you if you don't accept the fact that you made yourself fat then none of those death threats are going to make any difference. Yeah, because you can just blame something else. Yeah, you can say that, I well, I, I'm not the reason that I got fat. Mm -hmm. And so if those things happen, it's not my fault. Yeah. But that's not the case because you did get yourself there. Mm -hmm. And I know, like, there's always different factors that are going to be related to weight gain, right? You have, like, at the end of the day, whatever diet it is that you're following, whatever regime it is that you're doing to lose weight, it comes down to energy in and energy out. Yeah, it's a pretty simple. Nobody formula. wants to hear that. No. There's books, there's theories, there's methods, there's videos, there's entire courses dedicated to expalling the fact that it's not energy in and energy out, but it is energy in and energy out. That is the bioenergetics of weight loss. That's yeah. it. That is the final common pathway. There's a lot of things that affect how much energy you're burning and there's a lot of things that affect how much energy you're absorbing and there's a lot of things that influence your drive to eat but if you don't put the food in your mouth and you don't chew it and you don't swallow it then you don't consume the then you don't consume the energy we don't do photosynthesis it's not like we're all just getting this sun like these sun rays creating sugars out of it yeah and making ourselves fat, then, yeah, if we have photosynthesis, if someone says, I'm fat, it's not my fault, I would say, you are, you're right. You drew a bad hand. Yeah, you, you take know? in too much energy from the sun. Yeah, and I'm not discounting the fact that there are some disorders or there's some situations where a person may crave more food. Mm -hmm. Like, there's certainly going to be cases of that. There's People that have desensitized dopaminergic systems, they have changes in their serotonergic pathways, norepinephrine pathways that make them just always crave food. Yeah. And that's fine. But the two hormones that uh, I know that they're affected by sleep. I can't remember their name. Uh, one of them controls your appetite and the other one controls. Oh, leptin and ghrelin? Yeah. Yeah. Like lack of sleep. We'll yeah. throw those out of whack. Sure. You'll have so if you're not sleeping excess much. ghrelin and, and low levels of leptin. So you're going to be higher or you're going to be more hungry. Mm -hmm. And you're not going to feel full yeah. when you do eat. Yeah. But these are all just modulating influences. They just yeah. influence your drives. They don't actually put the food in your mouth and chew. That's you. Yeah. That's a motor pattern. Yeah. You have to recruit that. Mm -hmm. uh, although there are the those people that have the sleep eating. Oh, dude! The, those are the only ones that get my sympathy. I've woken up eating before. Yes. Then, then you if if you are a sleep eater and in your sleep your body gets up and it starts pounding some Oreos or something, then that's a whole different situation. But if you're not doing nocturnal eating mm -hmm. in your sleep, then it is still your choice to take the food to put it in your mouth and to eat it. Yeah. And like like we said. That that influences how much energy is coming in, and then there's certain things that influence the amount of that that's absorbed. Yeah, you know, if you're eating just an enormous amount of fibrous foods, you're not going to absorb a whole lot of calories from it. Mm -hmm. You know, whereas like uh, ruminant animals can get sugars out of fiber 
whereas humans can't mm-hmm. you know so there's there's stuff like that and of course if there's different gut syndromes i'm not exactly sure what they are but there's different things in the intestinal tracts that can choose whether or not there's a whole lot of substances that are being absorbed yeah but regardless like leaky gut syndrome which uh, yeah, may or may not like be that. a real thing yeah i'm not a gastroenterologist by any means well time to start studying time to time i took gastroenterology i hated the gi system this seems complicated when like physiology like my phd is in physiology Mm -hmm. and so we cover the respiratory systems the cardiovascular systems we cover endocrine systems you cover kidneys or your renal systems those are sort of like your your main tenets that you cover. Yeah. And then the GI system. And I still to this day, I hate GI. I just it's a lot of blunt memorization and I always had the joke that when in doubt the answer is CCK or cholecystokinin. Cuz I think I think you can get pretty far in advanced physiology courses by just knowing cholecystokinin per That's GI. What I mean. Yeah. I don't it's just a hormone. But anyways, Besides that little tangent, Mm -hmm. then if we go back to you're still in control of the calories that you put into your mouth. Yeah. There's different things that are going to make you want to do it more than others. That's for sure. If you have some syndrome where you have less dopamine receptors in your reward pathways, you're going to crave more food. There's no doubt about it. Yeah. You know, if you have some problems with serotonergic signaling and you're not getting the same serotonergic release for the amount of food that you're eating... You're going to want to eat more, but you still up to you to decide to do that. Yeah. And of course the offshoot is going to be the obesity. I think the problem is, is that when you talk about the neuromodulator control of eating, that's like an instant effect, Mm -hmm. you know, right when you eat, you get that rush of serotonin, you satisfy that dopaminergic drive craving, but the obesity doesn't happen for like years. No, it's repetitive actions. Right. And so it's like you have this opportunity cost in your brain that you have to pick. Am I going to listen to the signaling that's occurring right now? Or am I going to have something that may or may not happen five years down the road influence my immediate actions? And of course, the immediate signaling is going to win. Yeah. Humans, I mean, we're evolved, but we're We're still pretty gratification right now. You know, like we like that when you want something to taste good, you can have something that tastes good. But we live in such a modern world that anytime you want something that tastes good, it's like right at your fingertips. You don't even have to leave. You can just use a food delivery service of your choosing. (laughs) Sponsor us. And like you're good to go. You can pay thirty four dollars for. For uh, processing fees. Oh, yeah. It's insane. For a a a five (laughs) dollar burger. But people love the convenience. Absolutely. People love it. I think that the uh, like the link when it comes to obesity to mental health is also really important. Like when you, if you're going to look at it, obesity sort of as an addiction yeah. to food. Sure. Right. Like when you look at most addicts, there's some trauma that created the addiction. Obviously, they had to do whatever it was, you know, whether they started smoking meth or shooting heroin or smoking fentanyl. I have a so I beautiful quote to go with that. Perfect. So uh, this would suggest, okay, so this is from a paper um, 
what is this paper? Let's scroll up. Brain, Dopamine, and Obesity from The Lancet by Jack Wang's group. All right, no, not Jack Wang's group. Well, Jack Wang is the first author. Who is the senior author? Uh, Joanna Fowler from, let's see, B, from the Department of Chemistry, Brookhaven, New York. Uh, and in the review, it was looking at the dopaminergic receptors during obesity, um, throughout obesity. And in the disc, well, so it was looking at the D2 receptor or one of the main dopamine receptors in the brain during obesity. And it showed that basically as a function of BMI, there was a reduction in the amount of D2 or dopamine receptor expression in the brain. So essentially as you get fatter, you get less expression of dopamine, so you get the you get a lower response to dopamine as you would normally as you get fatter. Mm-hmm. So it takes more dopamine to get the same effect, and obviously eating food releases dopamine. It's just like a drug addiction. And so you start to have to eat more and more in order to get the same effects. And it actually says in the discussion here, low levels of dopamine receptors have also been reported in individuals addicted to various types of drugs, including cocaine, alcohol, and opiates. This would suggest that a reduction in D2 receptors is associated with addictive behavior irrespective of whether it is due to food, as in the study, or to addictive drugs, as seen in substance abusers. So kind of like when we were talking about those optogenetic stimulated mice, Mm -hmm. that when you stimulated the receptors irrespective of the cocaine, they still developed the addiction to cocaine, even though there was no cocaine present because it's just receptor activation. Yeah. And so similarly in the obesity you're getting the same addiction as you would to cocaine, alcohol, heroin, opiates, but it's just obesity. It's not drugs. It's food. It's just food. It's just food. But you're getting the same effect as but a that's, cocaine addict. That's what I'm saying is that like there's a there's got to be a strong mental health link to that as well as the fact that like when you decide to lose weight, almost everybody that was at one point obese decided to get really fit they talk about this like catalyst that caused them to actually lose weight right yeah like for me it was a go-kart for you it was whatever somebody else it might be like oh i hated how i looked in my wedding photos and it like sparked something in me i feel like it's a perfect storm of you accepting the fact that you you made yourself obese Mm -hmm. because of your eating you recognize that you have the power to change it and then you just don't beat yourself up because you got to that point and then you can lose weight and then you will lose weight. If you can do the perfect storm of those three things and accept all of those at once, it's like an addict. An addict, you know, if they're doing meth, you can try and force them into treatment as many times as you want, but until they decide that they want to change, it's not going to happen. And yeah. that's just an acceptance of the fact that they are an addict. They got themselves there, but they have the power to control it and change it. And then all of a sudden they go to treatment and they get clean and they're fine for, you know, the rest of their life. Yeah. But it's like when you look at obesity in that lens, I think a lot more people would change it if they would just understand that aspect of it. They're like it is an addiction and you have to treat it as such and not just like, oh, I'm fat because of this or like, yeah, I ate a cake after work because I was stressed out. Like have a bite of cake. Yeah. And then go for a walk. <laughs> like you that can still that eat a banana and go outside. I mean, just for pure weight loss, like when I lost the weight, I didn't change my diet. I think I talked about that last week a little bit, but I just ate less of the same things. Yep. I would go to McDonald's all the time. And initially my order was like four McDoubles, two McChickens, a large fry and two large Cokes. 
and that's what I would eat. And then eventually, it's a girthy order. Oh, it was a thick boy order, and I would smash it. Yeah, in like ten minutes. Horrible. Didn't care, but I didn't change my diet. I would eat the same stuff. It's just instead of eating until all the food was gone, which is what I did before, I made it a point to eat slower. And I would just eat until I didn't feel hungry anymore. And then I would take one more bite. But isn't it weird when you were fat? I know when I was fat, like when I was fat and I didn't realize, well, okay, I knew I was fat, but I didn't internalize the fact that this is a problem. Yeah. Okay. I have that as well. Yeah. You have that period where you're like, you've accepted the fact that you're fat, but you haven't accepted the fact that you should, that you want to lose weight. Mm -hmm. So you're just, okay, I'm the fat guy. Yeah, there was no catalyst. Yeah. And so at that point, you ate whatever you was that you ate. Mm -hmm. There was no guilt associated whatsoever. Nothing. There was some. Oh, oh, really? Even during that? Like for me, when I was that fat and I was eating whatever, your McDouble order, your Mm -hmm. thick boy order. Crazy. Yeah. Like I would just eat it and go about my day. Like I remember, I think when I started to get really fat, what I used to do is I would eat a bag of pizza rolls. Mm dipped in ranch right before I went to bed. Like the plate would be on the nightstand. Yeah. Yeah. Every night. And like a, a frozen pizza was like a snack after school. Yeah. I remember I got one of those pizzazz pizza makers, you know, the spinny ones with mm-hmm. the air that cooks it. Yep. And I put it like by where like the chair that I used to sit in to play video games. Yeah. And it was just, you know, you just be playing video games. Just, that thing's just cooking your pizza. Yeah. And you just eat it. I saved up to put a mini fridge in my room just so I could have access to like snacks and drinks. Exactly. There's all the fat guy tricks. Yeah. And when I was big too, my biggest problem was for sure eating. But um, I mean, you probably noticed it. Like I drank a lot of liquids in general. Yeah. And I was drinking like a 12 pack of soda a day. Oh, yeah. Juices, sodas. Yeah. Probably 30% of my calories just came from like liquids. And that was a huge thing that helped me as well was just like switching to sparkling water and water and tea and coffee. Yeah. And it's not nearly as fun, but like I'll get, like I think last time I was here, I had a Diet Coke with me. Yeah. Which isn't good for you, but sometimes you want a soda and I'm like, I don't want the the calories. Oh, sure. So drinking calories is also a huge problem. Oh, absolutely. You can't drink calories. Well, if you want to lose weight. If you want to lose weight, you can't drink calories. It's not worth it. Which is like the biggest thing that, Anytime I've had a friend or anybody ask for recommendations on losing weight, it's always like, you got to stop drinking calories. And that also includes alcohol yeah. like for a while. Because, I mean, you and I, I think, don't watch our diet super strict. I'm no. not super strict about my diet at all. No. As long as like 60 to 80% of my meals throughout the week are relatively healthy, I don't really care. But you get that intuitiveness over years of doing it. and Yeah, you sort of learn... Well, once you learn how much food you need to stay your size, Mm -hmm. which is unique for everyone. Yeah. Like the amount of food that you need to maintain your weight, to lose weight, to gain weight is your number all of your own. Yeah, because there's so many factors that go into it. Like your muscle mass controls how much energy you burn. Yeah. But like I said, it, it all comes down to how much energy goes in. And there's a lot of things that influence that and how much energy goes out, which there's a lot of things that influence that. And you can measure that. You can use some calorimetry if you really want to get fancy. Or you can just measure the amount of oxygen consumption, the VO2. Mm -hmm. And you can get your basal metabolic rate. Have a person just sit there 
measure the amount of oxygen that's going in and going out, yeah. take the difference, and that's how much oxygen you're consuming. I mean, there's even like BMR and TDE calculators online everywhere. Yeah, that are horribly inaccurate, but they get you close enough. Close enough. To an extent. But like, I mean, there's there's wiggle room. Mm. Let's say that you need to, like, let's say that your recommended daily energy intake is 2,000 calories. Yeah. Just to make it easy. Like, if you eat 1,800 calories or you eat 2,200 calories, it's there's wiggle room. Mm-hmm. It's 2,000-ish. Like, yeah. if you eat a little bit too much one day, you're just going to get a little, like, warm when you go to bed. Mm-hmm. You just burn the excess as heat. If you get a little cold, or if you uh, if you eat too little calories one day, you might be a little bit colder. You know, you're going to make up the differences. Yeah. It's sort of like, I feel like being able to change your weight is kind of like changing the thermostat. You're changing a set point. So basically, like, your weight is sort of, your your weight is at a set point. And it's determining how much cravings you have it's determining how many uh how much heat is being produced by your body it's mm-hmm. determining all of those different factors it goes into your brain state for addiction for drive to eat your dopaminergic systems your serotonergic signaling systems your norepinephrine signaling systems these are all influenced in influencing you and how much you want to crave food and how much reward you get from the food and then you have your systems that are primarily driven by your hypothalamus, which is your metabolic rate. How much heat are you producing? How much energy are you expending? And and so the balance between those two sets your set point. Your set point of, let's say, you're at 200 pounds. Okay, that's your physiological set point. Yeah. And if you eat too much based on that set point, you're just going to get a little bit warm. If you eat too little based on that set point, you're going to be a little bit cold. But in order to move that set point, you have to give the body the stimulus long enough so that it actually resets that set point. So you have to, like, let's say if you're 200 pounds and you want to go to 180 and you start eating like a 180-pound person, well, it's going to take a second for everything to shift because initially your set point is the amount of food it's taking to keep you at 200. Yeah. And so all of a sudden you're eating like a 180-pound person and you're cold and you're going to have these... Factors that are driving to make, like, you know, you're going to have an increase or you're going to have a, a your dopaminergic signaling pathways going nuts to tell you, hey, I need to eat more. You're not going to get the same amount of serotonin release for food because you still want more. It's saying, hey, get me back to that 200. That's my happy set point. I know how much energy needs to be burned off in a given day in order to keep me there. Yeah. And then finally, you're going to get resensitization of the receptors. You're suddenly going to get more expression of these receptors that were downregulated before. And now your new set point is at 180. But most people never give that long enough to reset. And then yeah. they just rebound. Which that's literally almost identical numbers as well to what I went through last year. Because uh, when I was trying to compete, I wanted to compete like one under 185. Yeah. So I was trying to get to around 180 so that way I could weigh in with my gi. And... Uh, I was like 210 at the start of last year, 215, something like that. I was like, all right, I need to get, you know, below. Like, I did it relatively quickly, but I was like, I need to get below 200. So, yeah, I figured out that eight like I should as somebody who's 200 pounds. And, like, at that time, I was lifting heavy. I was working out, like, six days a week. So, I was eating a lot, and it was, like, painful to maintain that. Yeah. But I did it because I wanted to be strong. And then I cut back on the food. 
and then lifted a little bit less. Got back on the food. Like I said, cut back on the food. <laughs> cut back on the food. Oh, oh, cut back. Cut back on oh. the food. I mean, it still is holds true to this conversation to say, I got back on the food. Got back know? on the food. Back on the substance, the back addictive the substance. substance. And yeah, I dropped down to like 200. And then I was like, all right, 190. And I just say it like kept pushing that, you know, threshold back a little bit and then got to like 175. And then I was like, oh shit, I pushed it a little bit too far. So then I started eating a little bit more. Got to like 180 and I've been at 180 since June and like I fluctuate between 180 and 190, but yeah, like my body sits very comfortably and I can eat intuitively and stay between 180 and 190 and it just feels like, you know, my new baseline is here, comfortable here. I don't get like super strong cravings for anything in particular. I woke up the other morning thinking about smash burgers though, Mm. went to a Loretta's Tavern that's good burgers dude the double tavern yeah with a nice crisp coarse light wow yeah. it was incredible it'll hit the spot oh it hit the spot but but i wonder no fluctuation i wonder you know we talk about it's what you know so like i said i'm a big fan of when it comes to weight loss if if you're having trouble losing weight you have to understand how much it is that you're actually consuming and even though there's going to be a lot of things pushing you to want to eat more, you just have to ignore them because you have the ability to do that. Yeah. Uh, that being said, when you do get to a lower weight, there should be a resensitization process that's occurring Yeah, to 100%. make you reset at that new stable set point. Mm-hmm. But it doesn't always occur. Yeah. You know, and I don't know why in some people it doesn't occur in some people. I'm sure there's a genetic factor and I'm sure there's been studies that have looked at it. But basically, if you take a population of people that lose weight, they lost 100 pounds, let's say, and you're going to have the people that have completely reset their homeostatic and their hedonic pathways. So basically, their ability to regulate how much energy is produced or how much energy is expended per day to maintain bodily functions and the amount of cravings. And those two things perfectly line up at that new weight, then they're going to stay there. Yeah. But for some people, it doesn't. Their homeostatic mechanisms reset because those are pretty plastic. But the hedonic ones that are essentially your neural systems that are driving you to crave food. You said those were emotional, right? Yeah, but if they, you know, for some people, they never reset. But I mean, if they're you were just stuck at, at the 200 pound level, yeah. so now they're 150, but they're still craving food like they're 200 pounds and it never gets reset. They're always going to be craving that. But that's kind of like um, if we're looking at obesity still in the same lens as addiction, kind of the same thing. Like some people get clean and they don't really struggle with it ever. Like my dad was an alcoholic and he quit drinking 30 plus years ago, quit drinking and just never craved alcohol again. Yeah. But then I know people that like quit drinking and they relapse every six months. Yeah, because like, the, the cravings never go away. And and I guess the cravings never go away. But that's like a byproduct of addiction, which kind of leads us even more into the fact that like obesity is a byproduct of an addiction to food. Just sure. the same way that like losing all your fucking teeth is a byproduct of smoking meth. It is like obesity is just the side effect of an addiction to food. And yeah. there's got to be some way. I don't know. Therapy, CBT, ACT, clear up the like cognitive behavioral therapy, acceptance and commitment therapy. 
fixing people's brains, looking at obesity as an addiction. Yeah. As like a byproduct of addiction to food. Sure. And you can fix that and maybe that would reset. That's true. That way their set point can actually stay there. Because when I lost weight, initially going from like 300 to 200, I had cravings like almost the whole time, but I just had the willpower to not, you know. Right. That's why I always said when I was a trainer, because I trained initially at an all women's gym, get in shape for women. Nice. That was how I started. And then I opened up a gym and then I closed the gym and I went to grad school. But I always said that my job as a trainer was more of just being a therapist. Yeah. You know, because I I always said that the, the most important thing that I did as a trainer was I kept them away from the refrigerator for two hours Mm -hmm. between the commute, the workout and the commute home. Yeah. Which is huge. Which is huge. It's huge. Because like working out is one piece of the puzzle, but you don't need to work out to lose weight. It's also a small piece of the puzzle. It's a very small piece of the puzzle. I think that like there's, you know, like we talked about, the more muscle you have, the more calories you burn at rest. Yeah. But But, I mean, most people, they go into the gym. Let's say they're doing something for an hour. Maybe they're burning 300 calories. Oh, yeah. If they're doing, I mean, if if they're doing like weights and a mixture of weights and cardio. If they're like, if they're really hitting the cardio, then sure, maybe they can burn like 600 calories or something like that. But yeah. But whatever. Like last time I lifted, I think it was like 315 calories. Yeah. I was in there for an hour. For for the obesity type of things, it's kind of a drop in the bucket. Yeah, exactly. Very small when you're eating, you know, one protein shake is like 240. Yeah. So it's not that big of a difference. Right. So it's like you drink a protein shake and you've already replaced everything that you burned. Yeah. It's kind of a drop in the bucket. It has like everything else that you do around the gym is going to have a much bigger effect. Yeah. I always said that the gym is just to shape you. Pretty much, yeah. Like just to to, to sort of carve the clay. Yeah. But if you want to make more clay or get rid of the clay, then then that's, that's all in the kitchen. I think that the benefit, though, to working out is that it builds a sense of uh, like mental toughness. Yeah. That does carry over to everything into your diet. So I wouldn't suggest anybody to just diet to lose weight. Like you should definitely do some resistance training, but more than anything, you're just like facing that adversity. And when you don't eat what you want to eat, you're just kind of like pissy about it. But when you get through a good workout, I usually feel pretty good. Yeah. You don't Even really... when I was fat and I pushed myself really hard, I usually felt better afterwards. Yeah. And like that's good for the brain. It was a good motivation. You got yeah. well, you get a big endorphins rush. Yeah. From it from uh from working out. And you don't want to ruin the progress because you're like, oh, some sometimes I would be like, Oh, I just busted my ass for like two hours. Uh I'm gonna go eat seven cheeseburgers because I earned it. That's what I, I do. Did not. Yeah, and sometimes I still do that. Like it still happens. It's very rare that I do that. Yeah. But I've definitely got done training jujitsu and been like, I'm gonna go drink a mimosa. And have a chicken fried steak on a Saturday at like 10 a.m. after I train. And I don't care. And I don't beat myself up for it. Yeah. I'm like, ah, it was like a one-off thing. But have you noticed, though, I've noticed that once you, if you do lose weight, Mm -hmm. keep it off. Yeah. If you're eating the big greasy thing, you kind of notice that you feel a little bit gummed up afterwards. Oh, immediately, dude. I feel like I just drank a bottle of Elmer's glue. Yeah. It's gross. Oh, yeah. Tastes good. Whereas before, when I was super fat, that was just sort of my normal status quo. Yeah. That was my baseline. Mm-hmm. But you don't know any different. Yeah. And so you're like, okay, I just feel like garbage. And then I eat this garbage. And I don't feel any different. So there's no repercussions. Now, you I eat a, it. if I kill a whole pizza, which I do sometimes, 
Yeah. You can feel it immediately. I have to do, I have to, I'm one of those people that I will have to have my, you know, quote, cheat type of, I'm not going to say cheat meals because that's just a dumb way to go. But mm-hmm. if you say like uh, foods that you don't normally consume, yeah, extra fat, extra carbs, after extra greasy stuff, mm-hmm. I do it at night because then I can just sleep it off. Yeah. I don't do it during the day because then I'm just, just going to fall asleep or I'm yeah. just going to be, just feel terrible. Which happens when I do that kind of thing. Yeah. Afterwards, I go home and I'm just sitting there and I'm like, there's regret. Some, <laughs> sometimes there's regret. Sometimes I'm like, I, I just don't care. Like, you feel fine. But. Yeah. So anyways. Yeah. For people looking to lose weight. Now that we've, we haven't shamed anybody. I don't think we've shamed anybody. No, I don't think so at all. And even I just if think we did, that sorry. it's in your hands. And once you learn that you have the power to control it, you should take some pride in every step of the way when you do control it. Yeah. When you want a craving and you don't succumb to the craving, even if it's for an extra 10 minutes, you should be proud of that. Yeah. So it's, it's, will give you mo- it's a like mixture momentum. between there's the neurological cravings, mm-hmm. which you have to be able to understand. You don't necessarily need to know the molecular pathways that are involved. But I think doing a little dive into there can give you a little understanding of how these factors are just influencing you. They're not actually creating motor patterns. Like the motor pattern recruitment to move your arm or to move your jaw, that's voluntary. Yeah. But the things that make you want to move your arm to pick up the food is not voluntary necessarily. Yeah. You don't really so you're, you're sort of the rate limiting enzyme rate limiting product in that formula yeah in order to eat but so there's that and there's different factors that can affect that and you have to understand what they are and you have to say i'm hungry am i hungry because i actually need more food most of the time the answer is no in developed western societies yeah realistically it is kind of a byproduct of society as well yeah and then you have to realize that how much you're eating or you have to realize you have to figure out for yourself how much it is that you are burning during the day yeah and i've always said like if you're coming in and you have a low basal metabolic rate you know let's say you're only burning 800 to 1100 calories a day you're small Maybe you're not even small. Maybe there's some sort of low levels of thyroid going on, thyroid hormone. Uh, So you just have like a slight hypothyroidism, something like that. Then I'm not saying that it's fair, you know, but nothing's fair. Just as some people have more money, they can buy things that people that don't have as much money can't buy. You know, you just have to realize how much money you have to buy things. Yeah, You know, and if you don't have as much money, you have to realize I don't have that. And so I can't buy these expensive things. And some people with a high metabolism, well, guess what? They have a lot of money and they can buy a lot of things. Yeah. You know, as far as like calories go. So anyways, if you realize that, yeah, if you realize that you're, you're in the poverty situation for how much energy that you're burning at a basal rate, then being able to understand that, you know, whether you go get it tested test your basal metabolic rate, whether you put it in a calculator, you know, the, the calculators are never accurate because they don't account for that. They, yeah. they only account for your body fat percentage. Sometimes how much you weigh, what's your height. It's a very basic, it's a very crude function. system. It doesn't take into account any hormonal actions that are going to be variable across the population. Mm-hmm. 
you know, but whatever. Once you figure that out, then you have to tailor how much food you're eating to that. Yeah. And that's, it's as simple as that, you know. Then, of course, like when you dive into the different diets, there's going to be things that are going to be more satiating. Yeah. You know, like if you're doing those low carb or whatever type of diets, like of course. Keto. Yeah, keto, th- those kind of things, South Beach, Atkins, all that kind of stuff. Mm. Like if you're if you're pounding a bunch of protein and fat, you're probably going to get bloated. Not bloated. You're you're, you're going to feel full. Yeah. Satiated. Pretty right? quickly too. Pretty quickly. Whereas carbs don't necessarily do that. Uh, they can. They can certainly make you feel bloated. You know, and so those different types of foods that you're eating on the different diets are going to affect how you feel. But it's not like eating butter and steak. Suddenly, there's some magic that makes you lose weight because of it. It's not going in and burning the weight. It's just changing how full that you feel. Well, isn't there some link to uh, protein being the most satiating macronutrient? Sure. Yeah. So so basically, if if you're eating something that's more satiating, you're going to feel fuller per unit calorie. Yeah relative to a carbohydrate and if you feel fuller per unit calorie then it you could say that that food is quote good for weight loss but there's nothing magical about it that makes it it doesn't go in and burn the weight for you yeah and i think that's one thing to note with all those diets too is at the end of the day all they're doing is just restricting calories it's in some one way. form or yeah. another yeah like if you're on keto you're eating a lot of fat which is satiating as well and a lot of protein and ideally just vegetables you know fats and protein yeah so you feel full yeah it's it's all the diets are how can i how can i feel full for the least amount of calories mm-hmm. and then they always talk about energy you yeah. know what's going to make me feel more energetic but that's more energized yeah not necessarily stimulated not necessarily energetic if you're if you're overweight you have plenty of energy yeah yeah there's no doubt about that you just might not feel energized yeah. like coffee which I think we get mixed up so often. We're like, I'm tired, so I'm going to eat. To feel better. To feel more energized. Yeah. And it's like food can release factors like norepinephrine, serotonin, that can be an arousing stimulus to make you feel more aroused mm-hmm. as far as like wakefulness. And so sure, there's going to be some sort of mild stimulation effect from it. But that's just being energized as far as, like, you can get the same effect from caffeine. Yeah. You know? Well, I guess with that, I do have a question about that. I don't know if you've ever done it, but I've had plenty of days where, like, I wake up, just immediately get, like, or I'll go work out in the morning, get home, and then get wrapped up in work, like, immediately, and it'll be, like, back-to-back meetings and, like, you know, heads down time, coding or whatever. And I'll feel super tired around, like, two or three. Oh, yeah. And I'm like, what the hell's going on? And I'm like, oh, I haven't eaten anything today. And then I eat and you're like, you feel totally normal again. Yeah. Your blood sugar. Yeah. Yeah. Your blood sugar is going to get. I mean, the thing is, is like if your blood glucose starts to drop, mm-hmm. right? If your insulin levels are starting to get low, you're like I said, that that feeds into that homeostatic balance. Mm-hmm. And so it's going to start down regulating a lot of the metabolic processes. You're not going to be producing as much energy because you don't have the energy to burn so you're saying in that specific case yeah the food will give you energy of course yeah yeah it's but, all interconnected yeah that's the problem 
It's all interconnected. It's all interconnected. Which I think you do realize after you lose weight and keep it off is that you start to notice a legitimate difference between like when you're actually hungry and when you're just bored or when you're, you know, tired because you haven't eaten all day or if you're just tired because of any number of factors. Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, it's, it's all, there's a reason they call it neurophysiology. Mm -hmm. There's a very intricate link between the brain states. And they have a two-way street, right? It's yeah, and the physiological systems. Mm-hmm. Your hypothalamus is a bugger. It's a promiscuous little thing, and so if All you're up and everything, yeah, and so if you're not eating enough, you're gonna feel tired, of course, because you're downregulating a lot of the energy expenditures, energy expenditing, energy expending processes. There we go. In the body, you're not gonna have as much strength, right? Because you're not gonna be able to break down. You're not going to be able to recruit the utilization of ATP as efficiently, mm-hmm. you know. But if your goal is to lose weight, then that's just something that you're going to have to accept. You do get used to it. Yeah, you do get used to it. And there are certain things that might be able to overcome that in the short term, perhaps. But I think understanding the process is super helpful in that sense. And so, yeah, the, it is like... The starvation mode, in air quotes, a real thing. Sure. Like you're talking about you know, when you go into starvation mode and you store fat. Well, people always say, I'm not eating enough, so I'm going into starvation mode. So I'm gaining weight because I'm not eating enough. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's what I'm talking about too. And it's like, you're not gaining weight because you're not eating enough. A byproduct of not eating enough is downregulating some of the metabolic processes that's going to reduce the amount of oxygen that you're consuming throughout the day you know as a measure of your metabolic rate Mm -hmm. of course that's just part of what is what keeps us robust as creatures on this earth yeah we're able to store energy and we're able to regulate the amount we're burning relative to the amount that we're putting in you know but it'll reset and so it's not that you're eating it's not that you're gaining weight because you're not eating enough you're just turning down some of those natural processes that burn food temporarily because you're not eating enough in the short term. Mm-hmm. And similarly, like when you have those, you know, some people call it a refeed day during the uh, diets yeah. or whatever, uh, it's going to spike your metabolic rate. Of course it is because now suddenly you have excess amounts of energy and some of that's going to be stored. There's no doubt about that, but it's also going to return up the furnace a little bit. And suddenly the amount of energy expenditure for a given day is going to go up because now you have more and and some of it becomes the fact that now you have more food that needs to be broken down and that requires energy. Like your gut is an active organ and just like breathing requires energy, you know, being able to break down food takes energy. Yeah. You know, I mean, your heart rate like rises what like an hour after you eat something because you're going through the digestion process yeah so your heart's working harder to digest which means your your cardiac output goes up it has to yeah so when you eat you raise your cardiac output Mm -hmm. that's higher cardiac output going to burn more calories because the heart is a muscle it requires calories so it's all interconnected yeah you know and so this is where i'm kind of a big fan of bro science for weight loss. Okay, let's hear it. I, I Normally, I'm not a fan of bro science. I'm a fan of understanding 
are having the right amount of substances, whether it's in your brain, whether it's in your body, at the right time. I'm not a fan of just dumping excess amounts of vitamins and excess amounts of neurotransmitters in because we read somewhere that it makes you feel better. Yeah. Not a fan because it's not how it works. You need to have the right amount of substance at the right amount of time. Otherwise, things can go bad. But that being said. Through the uh, bro science take. Bro science, when it comes to weight loss in the gym, is typically the crash dieting, right? Just understanding that you need to eat less. Sometimes they take it to the extreme. Chicken and broccoli only. Chicken and broccoli only. No seasoning. No seasonings. Nothing. I never got into that. Right? To lose weight. And if you want to bulk or if you want to gain weight, you you do in the, what, the GOMAD, gallon of milk a day, things like that. Dude, my gut would be destroyed. <laughs> I'm not saying like GOMAD's the way. I'm just using it as an example. You know, these people are crushing pizzas and unhealthy foods. And I'm not saying that that's the way to go. But that being said... There is a very crude but realistic understanding that modifying the amount of food that you're eating is going to change your body composition. Yeah. And there is a fact of the matter that you're overriding a lot of those normal neurological signals. Because yeah. if, you, if you're if you in a bodybuilding ring or you're in a combat sports ring or you're in any sort of sports arena that where the bro science dominates and someone says I'm cutting weight. They'll use that. They'll use that term. I'm cutting weight. They're not saying I'm, I'm doing weight loss. I'm yeah. cutting weight. Right. And suddenly when they tell themselves they're cutting weight, they're eating just chicken, just broccoli, just salads. They're crash dieting. They're not going to feel great, but they always lose, lose weight. It's, it's magical how that works. Yeah. You know, whereas like you flip the switch in your brain. Yeah, because now they've accepted, I want to lose weight. I'm going to ignore the hunger signals because I'm cutting weight. I think there's also a deadline to it, though, when you cut weight. Like, oh, there's a Yeah, I have to cut goal. it by a certain amount of time. Yeah, which Whereas, makes it temporary. So you're not thinking about, like, the long-term effects of it necessarily. Yeah. You don't hear, them, you don't hear it saying necessarily, I'm on a diet because... And nobody says that. No. But it, it's, you know, when you take that perspective of I'm cutting weight, most people don't have an issue with it. But when you take the stance that obesity is a disease, it's not my fault that I'm fat and I'm trying to lose weight with my trainer or I'm on a diet or I'm on a new diet every year, new year, new me, of course, then it doesn't work. Why? Well, because you're still succumbing to the cravings. Yeah. And complicating the shit out of it. And you're complicating it a lot. Mm -hmm. And so be it. You know, it's, I'm not saying that everyone needs to lose weight. Certainly I didn't need to, well, health wise, I probably needed to lose weight. Definitely needed to. But if you don't want to lose weight, that's still your choice. Yeah. If you don't want to lose weight and you're trying to lose weight, it's not going to work. Yeah. It's really not going to work. But if you want to lose weight and you're eating less and you're ignoring those cravings, then you're going to lose weight. Yeah. It's not like. It's not necessarily rocket science. And I don't want to put, I don't want to disregard many of the complicated regimes that are there that tend to work for some people, you know, but I think being able to just look at the, the final common output or the final common rate limiting factors 
being energy in, energy out. It's it holds pretty true most of the time. Yeah, I mean it's just kind of how it is. It's how the body works. Yeah, and it's weird because you know, and I didn't appreciate this before because I've sort of seen both arenas, at mm. least personally. And you know, I I I took that approach where I'm fat, I need to lose weight for my own personal gratitude. There's a level of acceptance. And if I wasn't like if I started stalling and I wasn't losing weight anymore, I would just eat less. Mm-hmm. And then I would magically the weight would start to come off again. Because you're gonna plateau. You plateau. As soon as your body becomes like familiar with it, which yeah. you eat less, yeah. and then you start to lose weight again. And then you get to a point and then you eat less and you start to lose weight again. You know. When you plateau, you have to change something though. Yeah. And it's not that you need to suddenly eat more to rev up the engine. Like eating more will increase your metabolic rate, like I said, and it's a temporary effect. And there there is validity, I guess you could say, in the hypothesis that once in a while eating a little bit more to rev up the engine, increase the amount of metabolic rate per day, which is a temporary effect, can spike it and help to to increase the weight loss temporarily. But it doesn't necessarily need to be the only thing. You're, all you're doing is you're manipulating the ratio of energy being burned relative to the energy coming in. It's just yeah. one way to do it. And I think, you know, I think being able to just understand that if you're not losing weight, for some reason or another, your metabolic rate is being matched to the amount that you're eating. And so regardless of whether or not whatever the online calculators say, you know, you're 250 and you want to get down to 200 and you hit 220 and you plateau and you say, I don't know why I'm staying at 220. The online calculator is telling me that I need to eat 2,200 calories. I'm eating 2000 calories. I'm still not losing weight. And it's like, well, guess what? The calculator is wrong. Yeah. For you. Because it can't account for everything. Right. The calculator is wrong for you. So you need to lower the amount of energy that's coming in. Go to 1,800. I know that the calculator doesn't say 1,800, but for your body, your physiology, you need 1,800 now. Yeah. I think it's different, though, for some people, because some people can drop an extra 100 or 200 calories and not really be affected, but other people might just need to add another workout in. Yeah. You know, or burn more throughout the week which was helpful for me to look at calories from like a, you know, when people are trying to lose weight and they'll have an event and they eat like 3000 calories in one day and they're like, Oh, tomorrow I'm going to eat, you know, 500 to make up for it. Yeah. You know, I ate an extra thousand calories. I don't want to do that. Or I'll only eat a thousand calories. And then they don't eat that day. And then the next day they binge eat because they're so hungry. Like if you overeat on a Monday and you look at your, caloric intake over the course of a week you know if you're looking at you know fourteen thousand calories throughout the week if you have an extra thousand calories on monday you can just you know shave off a couple hundred each day yeah it's 150 less and that makes it way easier because one day in the grand scheme of things isn't going to make that big of a difference no that's why i said you just you just get cold yeah yeah so like don't do it so drastically the next day and just knock off you're literally knocking off basically nothing yeah. Each day, if you look at it week over week. Yeah. I like to think of it as like, this is probably going to be the worst 
comparison I've ever made. Now that I think about it. If you're holding a stick with a streamer at the end, like a really long streamer, like Mm -hmm. a whip almost. Okay. You know? Mm -hmm. If you hold it up and you're just shaking the stick really, really fast, Mm -hmm. like up, down, up, down, up, down, up, down. That's the amount of, you know, calories that you're consuming during one single day. Mm -hmm. The amount that the end, like the end of that streamer is actually moving is very small relative to the amount that that stick is actually moving. And that end of that streamer is sort of like your body weight. And it's just collecting the average over time. It's sort of like a moving average on like a stock chart or something like that. It's not like I need to burn an excess of 6,000 calories to reach my goal weight. I need to lose a couple pounds. Not even well. A pound is what? 5,000 something. Let's look it up before we get called fakes again. Again. Calories in a pound. I thought it was 3,500. Oh, you're right. 3,500. Wow. It's been a while. Yeah. Okay. 3,500, which is why the recommendation is that you drop 500 calories a day. Yeah. And then you get one pound a week. One pound a week. Yeah. But anyways, you know, if you, if you say I need to lose 10 pounds, so I need to be in a 35,000 calorie deficit. Yeah. And you, uh, take two days you do an Ironman on each day and you burn what, uh, 17,000 calories per day. You burn an excess of 17,000 calories per day somehow. Yeah. Miraculously. But then you just hold everything else constant. You're probably not going to lose the 10 pounds. Yeah. You know, because you you did it you did it in like two days. Like it it like it it does like the math does come out. Mm -hmm. But the amount that you're just gonna in the short term downregulate everything to compensate for that, it's it's not really gonna work. Yeah. Basically is what I'm saying. I mean like wrestling or any fight combat sport, you might have you might weigh in three pounds overweight and you're gonna go hit the hot tub, the sauna, you're gonna be running with a garbage bag over you, spitting into a bottle, chewing gum and spitting. (laughs) And you might lose four pounds. Yeah, water weight. Yeah, water weight. But like that's, you know, kind of where that comes into play is that you can lose or you can burn the calories really fast, you know, if you do the Ironman. Or you can lose a couple pounds in one week. But as soon as you start going back to your old habits, it's just going to come back. Yeah. It's like it's not it's not sustainable. Yeah. So it's it's got to be you got to you got to be able to move that uh, moving average. Yeah. You know, and suddenly crash crashing for a couple days and then spiking back up moving average isn't going to change yeah and so you're still going to end up with the same weight but that being said crash dieting does work for some people it's not recommended i've never really done a big that's what i did big crash diet i lost 150 in like three months damn there's a lot of you stand up and you're lightheaded oh yeah i can imagine yeah maybe i should make a a lecture podcast of the bioenergetics of weight loss could be interesting yeah but i mean it's worth understanding it is worth understanding i think that there's a lot of people um i think that covid changed a lot of people's minds when it came to their health like made people more health conscious in a way oh Um, yeah like they were more people were working out at home just out of sheer boredom yeah 
Like some people probably people were just gaining weight. Yeah. Or people were gaining weight. But I know a lot of people that started working out because of COVID. They're like, oh, like I found a one pooed kettlebell on offer up for like 50 bucks and they went and bought it and started working out during COVID. Well, I think it, it made everybody conscious over their own health Yeah, in general. Yeah. Not just weight loss. Yeah. Well, because it was like affecting um, unhealthy individuals more than healthy individuals. Yeah. And suddenly you realize, oh, now I have to actually consciously think about something that can affect my health. Mm. You know, where does that line stop? It's not going to be just a disease or it's not going to be just a a virus. Suddenly you realize, oh, maybe a lot of things I'm doing aren't healthy. Oh, yeah. Compounds really quickly. Yeah. Like the unhealthy habits compound immediately. Yeah. I mean, shit. How many calories are in an IPA? Like 300? Oh, yeah. 300? You could drink, you know, two, three after work every day. 900 calories. 900 calories times seven. What is that? 6,300 calories a week extra? Sure. I'm bad at math. I'm really bad at math. Uh, I think it's like an extra, you know, 6,300 calories. Just from that. 6,300 or 6,300? 6,300. Oh, yeah, you're right. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Wow. 900 I did not get very far in math. Times tables? Times tables. <laughs> you do the times tables? I remember that. Yeah. Kind of tight. Anyways. Anyways. Uh, yeah. So, like, that's something super simple, but something that a lot of people will do. And if you just look at the numbers on that, that's, a like, what, 1.6 pounds a week, potentially? Yeah. That you're adding on to body fat. Just from, like, something that you don't really think about. And that's not, like... You know, me advocating like, oh, you should never drink ever because I drank four beers last night. Nice. It was a Thursday. And I also had a pizza. Did you really? Yeah, I did. But <laughs> I knew that I was doing Let that. Let me eat four beers and a pizza and then go on a podcast about weight loss. I know. But yesterday I had a, for breakfast, I had a nice little acai bowl. And you then I just not. had a salad for lunch. Did you really? I swear to God I did. Oh. Acai bowl with some granola. Some blueberries. Not and a some... sweet breakfast person. Normally, I'm not either. It's eggs. really the only thing that I like. Eggs and maybe some toast. Pancakes. I make a lot of pancakes. I know you make a lot of pancakes. Yeah. But, I mean, I knew that I was going to eat all that excess yesterday. So, before I went out and ate that, I probably had like 600 calories. Oh. So, you made up for it. Yeah. So, I was like, I, I knew that I was going to do that at nighttime. Yeah. And But I isn't that funny? Better choices throughout the day. That when you know that that's coming and you're hungry and you're kind of tired... Throughout the day, you just ignore it because you're like, okay, I'm going to more than make up for this during my pizza session. Yeah. I didn't feel, even then, I didn't feel like weird at all throughout the day. I wasn't tired throughout the day or anything. Yeah. Just, it felt normal, I guess. Because my- You're consciously aware of it. Yeah. Consciously aware of it. I know that, you know, even if you do feel a little bit tired because you haven't eaten a ton, it's like, it's not that big of a deal. All right, so practical weight loss. Practical weight loss. I realize that we're going to have to do a part two here. Yeah. Because this was mainly just like the psychology yeah. of former fat people. Which I think is most crucial. I, I do too. Honest. Understanding the psychology, but not only that, but understanding that this, these feelings, mm-hmm. these cravings, these things that are going on with weight loss are normal. Yeah, they're totally normal. Like I said, when I was a trainer... Or like I said, I was mainly a therapist. Yeah. You're there. Your main job as a trainer is to motivate your clients. 
Yeah. Like the, the workouts are there and you're certainly shaping the muscles. You're, you're gaining muscles a little bit. So that way you look better mm-hmm. as far as like better, more better. symmetrical. People tend to think that more muscles look good. Mm-hmm. You know, there's that, but you're mainly just a motivation and you're an accountability figure for yeah. the diet throughout the week. They look at you like a, um, like a person in power kind of thing. Yeah, it's someone that you that you know, that makes you. you accountable. Yeah, you know, it's just like a training partner. Yeah. Like if you're on a if you're with a trainer, you don't want to just slam a bunch of food for those few days because then you're going to feel guilty that you have to tell your trainer, yeah, that you're eating something, or they're going to know because you're not losing weight. Hundred percent. You know, and so you end up not eating as much. Funny story. I used to have a trainer at one point, and this dude put me on a workout program for like six weeks where I didn't do anything but just walk on the treadmill. And I was paying him. Yeah. And I was like, when am I going to start like lifting? And he was like, no, we're just going to do this to get some weight loss. And he would have me like track my diet and everything like that. And one week I remember I had like Chipotle twice in the week. Yeah. And like I got a full ass burrito, double meat, rice, beans, queso, all of it. This dude told me the best thing that I could do was remove the avocado because there was too many fats. Looking back now, I'm like, dog, I ate Chipotle twice and you tell me to remove the avocado. Yeah, like that's not that's not what we're worried about at this point. Yeah, and you put me on a treadmill for six weeks where I just walked oh, yeah. for an hour at like a five incline at like a three and a half speed Yeah, for an hour. Yeah. And I was like, this dude's the worst trainer ever. If you're <laughs> listening to this, you suck. Practical workout advice, though. I think we have two different approaches to it. Yeah. Or not even workout advice, I think. Mine is more understanding your own psychology when it comes to weight loss. And I think you probably have more practical like workout advice. Yeah. We'll save that for a part part two to have like the actual shaping, sculpting, manipulating of the body itself. Yeah. But if you can't lose, if you don't understand how to actually manipulate your own weight, Mm -hmm. then it's meaningless. Yeah. Not, Not completely meaningless, but... Depends on if you're going for performance or if you're going for weight loss. But in general, most people want to lose weight. Yeah. You know, and if you can be that figure that can reinforce as a trainer and you can say you're doing good, you know, you had a bad day here. It's okay. You're going to survive. It's one day out of a big bucket. One day out of a big bucket of things. Like it's a drop in the bucket. Yeah. Like let's keep going. Let's keep on it. Let's make sure that we're not. Let's, you know, let's try if you used to have this whatever cheat meal, if we call it that, Mm -hmm. this indulging factor once every three days, let's try to make it once every five days. Yeah. You know, it doesn't have to be anything astronomical to begin with. Your weight loss journey is going to be slower, but that's fine. It's probably more sustainable if you do it that way too. As long as it works, you know, it doesn't have to be anything crazy. You don't have to just eat lettuce and cabbage. For the next two weeks to drop 50 pounds. No. Because it can. Not, you not know. worth it anyways. Yeah. We can certainly talk about that. And I was dropping 50 pounds a month. But oh, I had so a crazy. pretty. I had an understanding of this is what I want to do. And I know I'm not going to feel good doing it. Yeah. You know. But that being said. I think. Yeah. We'll get into that more. In Which that's too. interesting though. Because you did yours in like three months. And it took me like eight. I think eight months to lose like 120 pounds. Because yeah. I got down to like 180 and uh, took like eight months. So whatever that math comes out to be. Yeah. Um, and I, yeah, I didn't change my diet at all. Yeah, I like, did. 
other than just not eating as much or I did change how often I was drinking calories, but that was the only significant diet change that I made. Yeah. Next to eating less. Sure. But I ate all the same foods, frequency, pretty much all the same. Just the amount changed. Yeah. So closing statements. Closing statements. It's already been an hour 20 and all we've done is rambled about weight loss. That's a good thing though. That's a good thing. Maybe somebody will hear it and this will spark something in them, which is my closing statement. Is I think you have to find your perfect storm. If I heard something like this when I was losing weight, it would have helped immensely. Yeah, 100%. Especially from two people that like legitimately went through it. Yeah. Because you're going to, when you start to lose weight, you're going to get bombarded with individuals saying how you should do it. Oh, yeah, 100%. Everyone's going to have an opinion. Everyone's going to have an opinion. You lose a lot of friends when you lose weight. You do lose a lot of friends. Because every, and you have to put your horse blinders on mm-hmm. and just say, this is my goal. This, it's working. Mm-hmm. I'm going to keep doing it. Yeah. I, thank you for your input on the South Beach Atkins keto. Paleo vegan. Paleo vegan, LA weight loss, Jenny Craig, whatever it is that you whatever want to do. Like, thank you for your input. I'm glad that that worked for you. But this is working for me and I'm going to stick to it. Mm-hmm. If you can put those horse blinders on, it's going to work. Yeah. And I think if I heard that early on, it would have been a heck of a lot easier. Yeah, for sure. Rather than having to figure that out for myself, you know. And also you get a lot of people, which I noticed this for me was that um, I think it was a little bit slower, my weight loss, you know. Yeah. Uh, Also earlier, I think I said I lost 180 pounds in eight months. I met 120 pounds in eight months. I just wanted to clarify that really quick. Um, Anyways, uh you're going to get told almost every time you see somebody that you look smaller. Yeah. Like when you're losing weight, you could not see somebody for a week and they're going to be like, oh man, you're losing weight. Granny's going to come in and say, you look emaciated. Yeah. And it's like, even those you got to take with a grain of salt. Yeah. Because you can let it go to your head a little bit and be like, oh, you know, be proud of it. Be proud of the compliment. But at the same time, like don't let up if that's not your goal. Yeah. Just because you went over to a friend's house and four people were like, oh, my God, you look amazing. Keep the horse blinders on. Horse blinders on. Horse blinders. You're going to be you're going to be criticized the whole journey. Mm -hmm. And then when you finally reach whatever goal it is that you're at, then they're going to ask you how you did it. And Mm -hmm. they're going to want you to tell them how to do it themselves. That is exactly my experience. It's a big switch. Mm -hmm. Huge switch. Huge switch. Suddenly you feel healthy. You're moving good. You lost all the weight. Same people that were telling you, you shouldn't be doing this this way. You shouldn't be eating carrot sticks and grapes for lunch. You shouldn't be skipping meals. Suddenly, but it works and then you say, okay, well, it's working for me. Yeah. So just keep it pushing. Keep it pushing. And Life gonna, is long. They're going to come back and they're going to say, hey, uh, I'm, I'm looking to lose 20 pounds. Mm-hmm. You want to tell me how? Oh, man. Well, yeah, that's super common, too. Maybe you should follow the plan that you tried to give me. <laughs> because when you're losing weight, you inevitably have those people in your life that are more fit than you. I mean, obviously, yeah. but they might be genuinely fit and it might just be a fast metabolism yeah, or they're a something. different person. They're a different person. And then all of a sudden, by the time you get done with your journey and you've stayed there for, you know, a year, you kept the weight off. Yeah. All of a sudden, that person gets in a new relationship, and they balloon up, and then now the roles are reversed. But the and... problem is the rationality diet, which is what I sell. Mm-hmm. I don't actually sell it. I just 
theoretically so. Pitch it. I pitch the rationality diet. Yeah. It's to just rationally understand it, how weight loss works, and implement it for yourself. But that doesn't sell. No, not at at all. all. Eating cabbage soup for a week sells. Borscht. Borscht. You ever had borscht? I have. Yeah. It's pretty good. Or intermittent fasting sells. Yeah. Which is just skipping a meal. Or yeah. which just lowers your caloric intake for the day. Which just add. lowers your caloric <laughs> That's intake. Literally all it's not it. magic. It's not magic. Or cutting out all carbs. That sells. Because mm-hmm. there's a there's a grasping point that carbs were my enemy. And it was because carbs that I'm fat, not because they don't want to take responsibility. I ate too much. Yeah. It was the carbs that were making me fat. So which, now I'm gonna cut out the carbs and lose weight. Well, carbs were the enemy. Well I mean there is some to that. Like I feel better when I eat less carbs. Sure. Like, you know, the gonna... ratios that people have, you know, 30, 20, 50, 30% yeah. protein, 20% fat, 50% carbs, that will like mess me up. If my carbs are like 35% or lower, I think that's when I feel my best. But like, I can't cut out carbs completely, yeah, but, but I also can't eat them in excess. Exactly. But that's just me. It wasn't the, but it wasn't the carbs that made you fat. It was seven the excess calories that you were eating. <laughs> that's what made me fat. That happened to come from carbs. Yeah. Like, I mean, the source doesn't matter at the end of the day. It's just the repeated action of putting more and more food in your face. Yeah. Well, one day we'll sell the rationality diet. One day. But until then, we're going to have to wait for part dose. Part dose. Because it's been an hour and a half. Yep. No I one, think if there's no any takeaway, do an audit of why you want to lose weight. And if you truly want to lose weight right now and create the perfect storm, and it'll make things a million times easier. Exactly. And we're here for you. Absolutely. Yeah. Follow us on Instagram for tips. Follow us on Instagram. Follow the Neuro Network, www.neuronetwork.org. Apple, well, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google. Although, if you're listening to this, then you've already found it. So, Share it to your friends that might want to lose weight. Share the show. Follow the show. Rate the show as we continue to grow. With that, have a good week. And a great weekend because it is Friday for us. It is Friday for us. I got to edit it. Well, I'm going to sit in a hot tub tonight. So. You got a hot tub? Oh, I got an Airbnb with a hot tub. You got an Airbnb with a hot tub this week? I did. Wow. Yeah. Out in Squim? Or? Yeah. Oh. So it was Pretty like much. eight bucks a night? Pretty much. Yeah. Dude, I lowered the like max price so low. And it was like house, own space, hot tub. Popped up immediately. I mean, it's, it's a yurt? Tight. No, it's not a yurt. I did look at a yurt though up there <laughs> for the experience, but... Anyways, well, enjoy that and enjoy your week. Okay, bye.